I just saw a quote from David Goggins. He's like, it's so easy to be great because everyone today is so damn weak. <laughs> They're so damn soft. Yeah. Them soft boys, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Our Future Podcast, the number one entrepreneurship podcast for young people. Simi and I sold our short-form video media company to Morning Brew, and we've developed an incredible network of other young entrepreneurs who have sold their businesses at a young age or have raised millions of dollars. And we're talking to those folks, and we're putting their story down into this podcast and creating kind of tangible frameworks for you guys to take their insights and their stories and apply them to your own venture. So the first entrepreneur I have today is Aaron Spivak. He is the co-founder of Hush Blankets. So this is a company that he built to a $50 million valuation. He started the company at 22 and exited the company at age 25. And I love when founders are looking at an industry where Google search terms are really high. So there were 300,000 search terms for weighted blankets at the time that these guys were thinking about starting a business. And they immediately saw that as a market, you know, obviously worth entering. The trend for weighted blankets started kind of in like 2016 or 2017, but it really blew up. And what they noticed is there were shitty products on the market, right? A uh, bunch of Chinese companies making weighted blankets, selling it on Amazon. Um, a lot of them were really hot. A lot of them were, uh, there was problems with weight distribution, like they weren't even across your body. Um, and they couldn't really cover your toes. And it's probably worth mentioning that weighted blankets are have been shown to have a number of benefits. They help you feel more centered at sleep. Uh, they help with people who are maybe more fidgety, um, but they increase that sense of groundedness that's required for the human body to really settle down. Aaron was able to build the, the market leader for the category. So it's, it's an awesome story. It's crazy because there was so much competition in the space yeah. where, especially if there's a tons of Chinese products that are, priced at dollars and pennies. This was a very premium product. They were selling it for hundreds of dollars, right? What was it, 400 bucks a blanket? Yeah, it's crazy, dude. Yeah. The, the kind of prices that they can command. Um, and I'll get into like how they, we'll get into how they, they can command those prices. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, the opportunity was that this is a hot space. Obviously, whenever there's kind of a hot industry, a bunch of people jump in to get those profits. But none of these were like super premium startups. Like these are probably just existing manufacturing companies, like the, you know, like the kind of companies that are like uh, Zara and H and M, but aren't actually them. Right. But they operate on that. Oh, there's a trend. Let's build that product and flood America with it, like on the boats. Um, Usually but, works. But yeah. Even, but they're like <laughs> crappy, right? So like, yeah. Maybe this is a good framework, right? Like whenever there's a hot market trend, like there is an influx of crappy products that were being built too quick to meet the need of the market trend. And there's an opportunity for like a more premium player who actually thinks more intentionally about the end user and what they're looking for with this kind of product. 100%, because for a lot of these people, it's just a money grab. They find the next hot thing, the next hot trend. They go find some quick, easy to build product that's half garbage. Yeah. And then they just try to sell it via just distribution and marketing. Yeah, so Aaron and his co-founder, they executed on this weighted blanket idea. They were like, okay, I like I think we can do it a little better, right? right? Like we are some Canadian guys, you know, we are we 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 think we can do it. We're entrepreneurial. Uh we're just gonna build a better weighted blanket that's currently being available on the market. And they sold it. Uh but after a certain period of time, I think they had he had done, you know, maybe a few tens of thousands of sales, having promoted this weighted blanket, right time, you know, right opportunity, people were buying it. 
And they became really intentional about talking to customers, but there's a big issue in that the weighted blanket was too hot, right? So people always complain about being like too hot when they sleep, right? No one ever complains about being too cold going to bed. <laughs> it's always like, it's too hot, yeah. right? And the weighted blanket is supposed to be the sleep remedy, but then it was causing this other side effect that ruins sleep, which is like heat, right? So they were like, all right, well, I guess we've got to like scrap that product. Like we entered the market, but we also suffered from an inferiority issue. So we're going to do it right. And they end up creating an iced fabric and, you know, they contact a bunch of mills and factories and suppliers and they spin it up into a, a weighted blanket that actually keeps you cool whilst providing all those other sleep benefits. And that's how they arrived at their their first uh, like major hit product. Yeah, and that's cool because they thought it was a seasonal business, and that's why they thought about quitting. It was, mm. hey, this is people only use Wade blankets for the yeah. heat purposes, but when they actually talked to the customer, they realized there were so many other use cases, and those use cases were way more important than what they initially believed and what all the other competitors in the space thought, which was people were buying it for heat. Yeah. Turns out that wasn't the case. They did 600K in their first year, which is already impressive. Like a 600 grand take home, uh, well not take home, revenue, and then 10 million in their second year. What an incredible like hockey stick right there. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's insane. Hockey stick with the Canadian reference, I love well, it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Apparently Aaron wanted to be a hockey player before he started... Uh, I guess all the Canadian entrepreneurs did. They're yeah. like, oh, hockey didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> Blankets. Yeah. No, but it's funny because uh, we've had a few Canadians. Why do Canadians secretly run the startup space, bro? <laughs> <laughs> Tobias Lutke, bro. I it might be a small bubble we're in here. I don't know. what Justin Bieber, bro? Like the Nelk boys? I don't know. Man. Anyways, what they did, right, is they saw this really exciting category that people were buying into, this trend. And they're like, we need to be the premium player. We need to be the we need to be the Kleenex of weighted blankets, right? We need to be the Uber of weighted blankets. When you're seeing all these people fight to be a part of this trend, why don't we just rise to the top and be the trend? Let's be the trend for better sleep. And they were like, we're not going to mess around playing in a perfectly competitive space or fighting over margins with Chinese manufacturers or you know, crappy companies, like we are going to ascend to the top. We're going to have the most premium products, have the best margins and have the best brand. And they went out and executed on that vision in that they raised 1.5 million in a crowdfunding round in that just 30 days. That was another great really way. Good, yeah. It was 10,000 investors from 11 countries. So wow. it was another way for them to create publicity for themselves. It was like doing a Kickstarter campaign. They probably could have raised that money privately, but like just because they were a consumer products company, um, speaking of discoverability, they didn't need to raise money from the hosts of Dragon Den, uh, which is Canadian's version of Shark Tank, but they went on it, knocked it out the park, won like the most epic pitch competition. They got all six Canadian dragons to like get in a bidding war for the company. And then they also did something where they sold, uh, sorry, they donated a blanket for every 10 sold. So they did all these things to position their brand as like the top of mind weighted blanket company. And that's what put them that's what put them on the rocket ship to being untouchable by the other uh, commodity manufacturers. But you know why they were able to do so well at that price point is I think they got the use case right in a sea of competitors that didn't quite understand what it is they were selling. Everyone was selling based on the heat use case, but what he learned through talking to customers is people use weighted blankets for insomnia, mm -hmm. for stress. And so if you look at it from that perspective, like, would I spend four hundred dollars 
to potentially sleep better at night because I don't feel as stressed or I don't like I can go to bed easier versus like, am I solving a problem which could be solved by turning the fan on or just turning the air conditioning lower? Yeah. Right. And so from that standpoint, $400 is nothing. I would spend $400 to, to right. if it made gave me peace of mind. Right. In marketing and sales, you're selling a benefit, right? Yeah. You're not selling a product. Yeah. People don't believe in products. In fact, they think that advertisers are sketchy and malicious. They're looking for a benefit to their life. And that's what they sold. Like we asked him his biggest cheat code. He's like, it was just the storytelling. It's like, hush is going to be, give you a superior sleep. And that's something that like exhausted working adults in the first world are put a priceless value on, right? Maybe not priceless, but a ton of value on is like getting a good sleep. And think about all the podcasts now about how sleep is like the biggest contributor to your fitness and your right. happiness and right. all that's all that jazz, right? So they did an exceptional job of branding their company around this benefit of better sleep. I think the storytelling aspect has some merit to it, but let's be real, these guys were sharks. They drained out all of their competitors. And this is crazy, right? Like they knew everything about their competitors, where they were sourcing their products, who their key customers were, and realized that it was a math game. So they just like worked <laughs> their way backwards. And you can explain the nuances of this, but literally no one could compete with them on merits of price because they just undercut the price in the beginning for their product and no one could sustain the margins. Yeah. And so like like just as fast as the competitors came in, just as fast they left. Yeah. <laughs> so at the end of the day, it was like this monopoly on the weighted blanket market yeah. and you're stuck buying from these guys. Well, I mean, what Aaron was saying, he was like, I was like, yo, so like, how do you think about competitors? He's like, well, I reversed engineered them. Yeah. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, I knew what their rents were. I'm like, what? <laughs> He's like, yeah. Like, imagine Aaron just camped outside some like guy's house, like apartment. He's like, okay, Zillow, <laughs> Zillow. Okay, three thousand, three thousand a month for two bedroom. Okay. Okay, well, that means he can be affording to charge this, and he's selling this many blankets. It's like, this motherfucker's intense, bro. Yeah. I would not want to go to bat with this this kid in business. I would agree. <laughs> it's it's so funny, it's too. It's kind of scary, bro. Yeah, you would think, like, oh, peaceful, just, like, easy-to-work-with guy in Canada. And it's like, no, this guy will this take your lunch money. I heard there were no sharks in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Canadians are so nice. <laughs> no, but like explain kind of the intricacies of how he went about that, right? Because it wasn't always $400. Like when he reverse engineered it, he found the exact price point to where the competitors can sustain that margin. And slowly, like fast enough, everyone was leaving. Do you remember what the, the dollar amounts were? No, but I think he just tried, like he was happy breaking even for as long as he needed to to get to the premium segment of the market. Dude, I think that's a great insight for yeah. like these saturated he said he was, markets. Yeah, he was DJing on the side. He was just kind of waiting out the competition. Um, let me find that part. Yeah, so he would DJ and sell at break even, but he was convinced that he would own the top spot. Yeah. That's so, like, that's pretty like awesome. That's cool. And, but he got there in three years. Like they yeah. started the company in 2018 and they sold it in 2021. So it's not like he even waited for years chilling out in the Canadian tundra to like make this work. Like he, he, uh, he was pretty intentional and knew that he waited just long enough. I mean, a lot. Of, I feel like business in many ways is a patience game, but I feel like we always overestimate the the patience of others, right? Other people, your competitors will probably quit like relatively easy. You know, like you're holding your breath and you're competing against somebody with that. It's like 
you're probably like pretty close to like something to last just a little bit. It's just like, can you last a little bit longer? And so that person goes up. You can go up right after. But right. Like, it's so interesting too. Like, even if it's relatively easy, like take even podcasting, for example, right? Like how many, what percentage of people quit after like their first seven episodes? Like these games are just won by staying in it long enough. Yeah. But I, I guess what I would again emphasize is like, it doesn't need to be that long, yeah. right? Like most people just have a low patience. They don't have the conviction. They're not willing to go to bat with the real baller. And they'll get, they'll just fade away into obscurity. I mean, I saw it so many times. I saw so many people try to copy like our future, our our future videos or like the original podcast, and like they all just they did none of them got past a couple episodes. Well, I also think about that in the context of like when there is a lot of competition. What you realize is like <laughs> you can be better than say eighty five percent of the competition, but by just doing what you promised you would yeah. do. Yeah. Right? Like so if you go to a client and say, hey, we're gonna do X, Y, and Z, just doing that makes yeah. you so much better than most of the people you're even competing with. So I love that insight. Yeah. I love it. I as we always talk about how business is this war and it's so freaking tough. Like again, maybe we're ascribing too much value to that. Like I think that, you know, just there's this quote from it doesn't really apply, but there was, I just saw a quote from David Goggins. He's like, "It's so easy to be great because everyone today is so damn weak. <laughs> They're so damn soft. Yeah, them soft boys, you know." <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's a a good mentality to look at it at. Like if you are driven and convicted, and you're like, "I'm going to be the top company in this space," he played every card right. He was willing to be patient, and they made it work. Um, they he, came out with tons of product extensions too. Oh, we need to get into that. Yeah. Like the iced fabric they created for the original weighted blanket ended up translating to iced sheets. Yeah. And iced duvet and a duvet cover right. and a mattress cover. They even got into mattresses and a, ma and a bed frame. They even launched slides, a weighted robe. It's like a sleep mask. Yeah. It's like these guys were like, we've become, we've created this um, uh, product that's hyper signaling, like a weighted blanket is like the ultimate uh, embodiment of like what it means to get better sleep because it's like this extra thing. But like they then added that feeling. They extended that goodwill from this more sophisticated product into basic products that you buy at Target. And they just put their brand name on it. So they did an incredible job of product extension. It's it's awesome like so, to see how many products yeah, they have and the yeah. fandom they created. That's the interesting thing, right? So if I know if I purchase something from Hush, it is going to be premium. It's extremely high quality, yes. and I know exactly what I'm buying. Yes. And the blankets were the entry point, right? But that also happens to be, alongside the sheets, the lowest price item right. on the catalog. And it's so strategic because mattresses or like bed covers or all these other things are going to be priced way more expensive, and they can get even more margin from getting into those, those product lines. Yeah, and I guess like there's a wait list. I was looking at the ice sheets. I'm about to move into a new crib, so I need new sheets. Yeah. I was looking at the ice sheets on their website and they're not available until October. That's crazy. And the way they arrived at the product extensions is they he said he was religious about asking getting customer feedback. I'm like, right. what does that mean, customer feedback? You talked to a few people? He's like, No. I talked to three thousand people. Like see, that's the effort that not a lot of people are willing to put in. But again, what's the framework as we move on to the next subject is find a hot space, you know, that's kind of like blowing up and see if there's a product, you know, even if it's a fad, win in the fad, 
build the best product in the fad, and then take the goodwill from consumers associated with that hero product and extend it into more. Um, and that you go for like the more exotic product, and then that can then essentially increase your price premium on all the basic products. 100%. Right? And I think like leading into the next guest, this is kind of the cool thing, which is um, Aaron's company was extremely low barrier industry. Rubik's is extremely hard barrier, yeah, right? Like yeah. it's really hard to enter uh, enter into this space. So um, to give you some context here, the next guest is a 25-year-old guy named Ritwick Pavant. He's raised millions of dollars to solve the affordable housing crisis with his company, Krava. And he's got a pretty interesting background. At 14, he taught himself how to code and started building apps, one of which ended up being a Flappy Bird rendition that ended up in the top three of the Apple store. It was like one of those, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, Dude, there's no limit to like the dumb shit that young yeah. founders will do yeah. to like make money from. So apparently it was like a broom and like every time like you would press the button for the broom to go up like in Flappy Bird, it would yeah, be like, yeah. <laughs> so, so dumb. So dumb, but that shit works. Yeah. So he leveraged that into a higher a much bigger opportunity being he was able to build an agency around it and started building apps for yeah, yeah. other So you leverage the core competency uh, into yeah. a service business. We mentioned this a million times. Yeah. You got a core competency as a kid, a teenager, a college student, and you leverage that into a services business. Exactly. Boom. You can buy your first car. Awesome. Yeah, it's great. And he scaled it for six or seven years and at its peak had over 40 people on the team. Um, decided to ramp it down because he found a company called Vade, which started from his own personal frustration around parking. And this was kind of a cool insight. He learned that a lot of public parking was being used by commercial operators. So think like DoorDash and Uber Eats. But they realized like they weren't paying for it. Like yeah. it's just free space. And so <laughs> he went to the city and proposed this hardware as a service model. The where... ultimate narc. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's great though, because he proposed this model to him where he was like, hey, we'll create these cameras powered by computer vision and it will monitor curb space and you guys can monetize it. Um, ends up being leveraged into this cool deal with the Florida Department of Transportation around trucking and parking space, right? So ended up being other use cases. He eventually left the company and then decided to create Krava, which, again, is targeted towards affordable housing. And what they do is they create these 200-square-foot units. They're also known as, like, ADUs, more commonly yep, referred to. Yep. But it's cool. You can structure them however you want. And think of it like Legos for living spaces. And there's been so many other use cases, like some of the people use the extra space for golf simulators, gyms, podcast studios, and even home offices. So yeah. cool guy, really cool, cool company. I'm, yeah. I'm excited to kind of dive in. A big problem, affordable housing, and he's going about it with like a small solution. And that's what I love. It's like Elon Musk was looking, I, I told Ritwick, I'm like, dude, you probably admire Elon Musk. For one, you're building like a physical product in a factory in Austin, so you're already kind of like Elon. But essentially what, what he's doing is approaching this major issue that he hopes to solve down the line with a great beachhead. So with Elon, he's like, we need to make cars electric, but he starts with a sports car that's really small, that's kind of impractical, but only a few people can afford. And that's what uh, Ritwick is doing with the Krav, a K1. Exactly. Only rich people can have this thing. It's kind of like a vitamin versus a painkiller, right? But it is the first step to, to actually building a product that could eventually solve the problem. Now, what I think is really interesting with Ritwick is he talks about how prefab is not a new industry. There have been multi-billion dollar companies started and raised billions in this space to try and become 
prefab builders and home in a box and order a home online. And they, a lot of them have failed or their valuations have been slashed or they're not able to move homes. And he saw that and he's like, okay, let's start with like just getting a prefab product in people's homes. Let's start. Let's take advantage of this ADU thing. Yeah. This is how it's going to start. It's going to start by putting the guy in the sports car instead of the family sedan. Right. That's how it's going to start. And I love that framework for this business. Yeah, because I think a lot of his lead generation right now is coming from Twitter. It's these high net worth individuals. And I believe the base unit is around thirty thousand dollars. Yeah. But when you're buying maybe the what is it, the K1 plus? Is that a one with more features? Yes. One with more features. Right. So what's really interesting around this model is the increase in price isn't actually dictated by the size of the unit. So each unit is 200 square feet. Right. Like. How he's going to go up isn't necessarily by building a 250, a 300-square-foot unit. It's by adding more features, right? Yeah. HVACs and, and like utilities. Upsells. Yes, those are how the upsells are coming. So this is kind of interesting. And I also find something really cool about this, which is um, when you're playing in these regulated spaces, of course you can't cross the line and you shouldn't try to, but making the best of those situations, for example, in, in like housing, you have to deal with permits, Right. And so there's this threshold where once you cross over 200 square feet, you have to deal with a bunch of BS around permits. But if it's under 200 square feet, it's considered a shed. Right. That's cool. <laughs> now you have a lot of flexibility yeah. here and you can do a lot of cool stuff. I love that. I love how he's taking he's like finding the the opportunity with like the least friction to get this product to market. And that's what young entrepreneurs should do. Like if you're Adam Newman, yes. If you want to reinvent the apartment complex, you can do it with $2 billion from A16Z. Right. If you're a 23, 24, 25-year-old kid who wants to solve a major issue, maybe you gr you're passionate about affordable housing, okay, well, a college kid's not going to be able to solve that. But what Rewick was able to do is just raise just enough money to like, prove out that people can buy a prefab home. And all the technology he's currently developing on this one product can be applied to the modular home community f future that he sees where he's selling dozens of these per commercial real estate project to allow more Americans to move into a home. And that's why he's going to be able to ship this out way faster than all the competitors. Yeah. Right. Like to me, it sounded like he's raised the least amount of money, but is actually going to be the quickest to actually launching and placing right. these units on a mass scale for people. Right. Right. It's just like, it's kind of the best of both. Right. I again though, this is gonna be a very capital intensive business. You're building a massive like box, like a huge box the size of this room, and you're trying to give it to people. The shipping, the logistics, uh, it's very expensive, right? All the all these things I think make the business quite challenging. And I asked him, like, what's the margin on that thirty thousand dollar unit? And he's like, We're not even thinking about that at this point, right? So this is gonna take a few more raises, right? To get it to um end time for for the world to accept prefabs and uh, for ADUs to become a little more more commonplace. But yeah, I think that's a big opportunity. It's funny, uh, Mark Andreessen, founder of A16Z, the most powerful, well-respected, well-capitalized venture capital firm in the world. He's always been talking about how we need to solve the housing crisis and we need solutions. It's time to build. He uh, struck down an ordinance in in uh, Atherton, California, like right next to Palo Alto, where he lives, about people putting like extra units in their backyard <laughs> or guest houses that other people could rent out. Because it's so expensive to live there, and he struck it down. He's like, "Nah, fuck that. I don't want any of these like You're telling poor, me super poor people living in my community." Yeah, super rich <laughs> people don't actually care about like what the modern average 
Joe deals with. Uh, well, I mean, it's a little hypocritical, is all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what's interesting is we probably have two different ideas on what the North Star for this business looks like. Like, you're more bullish on the commercial side of this. Is that right? Well, yeah. Maybe I was wrong. Maybe he wants, like, the average consumer to order their home online and then build it on a plot of land they buy. I, I don't know. I think it's like there's no right answer. Like, I think that's the beauty in his model is like you can use the extra space for whatever you want. Can I be honest, though? This could very well go the same way the American housing market's gone, which is private companies own a massive percentage of homes and just rent them out. It's like this is going to be the same thing with Krava. It's like, OK, well, people can't afford regular homes. So let's create a whole new market for homes with these Kravas. And then people are going to rent them out and we're going to own them. So it's like commercial real estate company, let's say related group, or I don't know, they're not a multifamily, but a big commercial real estate company is like, okay, we have a massive plot of land. Let's fill it up with Kravas. We can put as many Kravas on here because they're tiny. And it's going to be this tiny, like jam-packed community full of Kravas. And people are going to pay lower rents than they would in a regular apartment or house. But at the end of the day, does that really create affordable housing? You don't think government would get involved? That's what I think could be really cool is yeah. if government like mass buys a ton of these units because again, they're going at 30 grand versus like what is the average house going for nowadays? Yeah. 300 grand, like even on the lower end? Way probably more, like the average home price and homes are getting smaller. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the government could do something, but again, like it's not something you should bet your house on exactly. or bet, bet your company on is that the government's going to pay your way to the future. You know, you bring up a really good point, which is you don't want your business to be dependent on government. It's great if they can intervene and be involved because yeah. you know that industry is important and it's going to yeah, be yeah. here to stay. It's like a gauge of importance. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And you want to make sure that, again, like on its own foundation, like the business has merit and you're running it in the most lean way possible. I think it's a really cool product, dude. Like a, uh, a workout studio, an extra bedroom, a podcast studio. Like this could be used by so many ways. I, I literally envision this in every like Twitter podcast influencer's backyard. Um, but yeah, I think growing the market, I mean, it's probably a pretty big market. You could probably put a lot of these in people's backyards. Um, and that's what's interesting. You're, you're too, looking yeah. for the person that's not yeah. rich enough to add, remodel and add more space in their home but someone who is rich enough to buy a $40,000 unit. <laughs> well, it's a you, big market. Well, also like with Airbnb, like all these big cities like cracking down on it, like the the rental aspect of side, like he's already seen some people interested in taking their Krava 1 and renting it out, like or throwing it on Airbnb and like there's actual demand for it. It's this. like you're going to have to shower in the creek and, <laughs> and you're going to have to pee in the bush uh cuz these things aren't connected to plumbing. And all that. I think they have utilities connected to them. No, 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 not yet. That's okay. that's the beachhead. It would be way too hard to go into this prefab business. He was saying by connecting all that stuff. Got it. The, the reason he's able to start this business and get it off the ground in in a year of starting it, so he he kept it was in stealth for. I, I'm impressed by Rit. 150 days from starting the company to announcing it to the public, and then it's going to be another 150 to getting the first delivery. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy for yeah, a fucking massive him, shed That's that awesome. you put in I people's yards? Yeah. He's going to make his first 30000 in revenue in next month or next week. And I think there's a huge wait list. Like, there's already so much demand for this. Uh, yeah. We'd also asked him that as, once he gets all of the logistics figured out, and he's essentially turned this into a machine, how quick could this actually be produced on a mass level? And he said that, like, once you actually purchase the unit, say, on their website or wherever you go to, to actually buy this thing, they could have it in your backyard within a one to two month cycle. And I thought that was, like, really fast and really quick. Yeah, but remember what? Ev that's not going to happen. 
You don't think that no. that could happen? No, no, no. I, dude, look at the Cybertruck. Look at the Model 3. Like Manufacturing businesses, there's always massive delays in deliveries, bro. I think when if the Krava really- I'm saying like I've, at its peak. Like, I'm saying at its peak, even like maybe yeah. down the line. But when people start to get excited about Kravas, they want their new Tesla. They want to buy it now. It's going to be months, six months probably until it can get delivered to you. So let's forget all the upsells. You don't even think the base unit could be like streamlined in that way? What do you mean streamlined? Like- to me, it doesn't sound like like if if you remove the utility side of this, like constructing this is probably a lot easier. Like even in that case, you don't you you don't see like mass shipping involved. I don't know. I don't. I think it's maybe it's a little. I'm just not thinking like cars, of cars. Like They're where more you're dealing with engines and machinery and stuff. Yeah, it'll probably be a lower lead time for cars. But I mean, I saw on Twitter a guy asked him like, when does he expect it to be in like the Northeast? Because the guy was in Boston. And he's like one to two months. It's like that's a little aggressive. Yeah. Like, he has a small manufacturing facility in Austin, right? Like, he's going to have to... Uh, scaling a manufacturing company is fucking hard, bro. Like, he's probably going to have his fair share of, like, sleep on the factory floor type situations. Something I love about this business is that if you compare it to Vade, like, it's still focused on optimizing space. In that case, it was optimizing parking space. And this yeah. is, like, optimizing space in your backyard or yeah, yeah. optimizing yeah. living space, uh -huh. right? Um I just think it's kind of cool. I don't know if there's like any specific ideas or takeaways that prompts, but I think it's kind of an interesting model. Like if you can find one, like there's so many different use cases once you can find your thing that really interests you because for him, real estate is a huge passion of his, right? right? Like, so he's just found these businesses that kind of like play into that one way or another. You know, maybe it's just easier to ideate inside a box. Yeah. You know, it's like we have this much, you know, you have... You could even think about this. <laughs> that is like very literal too. <laughs> it's literal <laughs> yeah. and it's a figurative, right? Yeah. Because like this is uh, this could be a, you could think about this intellectually as well. And that if you're just looking for a problem inside this industry or like this area or this region or this you know ten mile geographic square, it's a lot easier to be creative when your hands are tied or you're in a box. Like it's a lot easier to be creative when you're constrained in some way. A lot of people uh, associate creativity and ideation with. Uh, this lack of boundaries, but I actually think it's kind of easy once you think about what limitations are and what an incremental fix can be to to change. And then once you can solve for a problem inside the box, that's yes. when you can go beyond the box. Yes, it's like let me go and change America's affordable housing crisis. But right now, I'm gonna help you get that that space in your backyard to like do your podcast. Did you think his philosophy on competition was interesting? Which was that, like, they're actually very forthcoming with information because, again, because it's an early industry and, like, no one is the clear market leader just yet. It makes yeah. sense to share information because even one company, like, getting to the next step or getting to the next level, obviously he wants Krava to be the one. Yeah, but, yeah, like, yeah. it actually is like a, a, yeah. rise, a rising tide lifts all ships kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, there's been more, there's been other industries like that, you know, where it's Again, like, cars are kind of like that. Yeah, like EVs people. and stuff. It's like, yeah. let's get them out. Like, Elon's like, let's get more charging. Let, let me license my charging tech out to all the other cars and let's allow Hondas and Toyotas and Lexuses to charge at uh, the Tesla charging stations, right? It's like, it could be a business play, but it's also like, we need adoption. We need to save the world, right? Um, so, so yeah, I think, you know, a, a ship, uh, all ships rise with the tide. I think also in like, this industry, cause yeah. it's so small right now, but it will grow. It's like what we talked about uh, a few episodes back when it was like, 
you're in an emerging market, like just know with the only with the fanfix guys, it's like yeah. just know that like if you stick to it, you build a good product, you're going to rise up. You know, 100%. and everyone's gonna win and everyone's gonna have a piece of this massive market. I think it's also interesting because he has a really impressive background, but it was still really hard for him to raise money for this business. And I know macroeconomic conditions played into it as well. Like yeah. he raised in Q4 of twenty twenty two. Yeah. Raised yeah, yeah, raised at the end of twenty two early this year. Um but this dude is relentless, man, like sending thousands of cold emails. And then his cool, his story with Upfront, I thought was pretty cool too, right? Cold emailed the venture house and got a four and a half million dollar seed. Get it, great for him. That's awesome. He's, he's a really freaking smart man. But I, he's, yeah. He's a very CEO guy. I just think it's it's like one of those very things. Very ambitious kid. Where, yeah, I just think it's like one of those things though, like regardless of how accomplished you are or like, you know your past success you have to keep grinding like to, to especially when it's a hard problem there is no, it doesn't really get easier like yeah. and i think this is something i wanted to to bring a distinction of because in a lot of our episodes or our interviews when we talk with these second time founders we make it sound like second time around it's so much easier like you're good it's like everyone's rushing to give you checks turns out like for the vast majority of people that still isn't the case right we need to stop falling into these uh thought buckets that it's easier if you do this or that like maybe a little bit a little bit you still gotta grind it's all fucking hard man yeah. it's so hard to win in business the going back to that competition mindset though like that couldn't have worked for aaron because his business was like we there's only going to be there's only going to be at the end of the day there's only going to be one two or three companies that sell a 400 hundred dollar weighted blanket exactly so yeah. cool, well, cool parallels well one, thing one is like a yeah. market that's only big enough for like a few players and one's a market that could is big enough for a lot of players. So it's cool juxtaposition. Do you remember what Aaron said though, which was when he actually succeeded in growing the market, a bunch of other smaller competitors were reaching out to him and saying thank, thank you. Because yeah. <laughs> people would look at his price and then be like, man, I can't afford $400. So they would go to the, like, Everybody second eats, tier man. options. I've never heard someone describe, so describe that uh process before yeah of having the underlings being like thank you for being better than us it's a very <laughs> d to c bro kind yeah. of kind of move dude Should fire we wrap? fire episode though yeah wrap, I love you want to wrap it up for us great well thank you all for tuning in to another episode of our future podcast again michael and i love having the opportunity to do this week after week please keep giving us feedback we're learning as we go um so yeah stay tuned our info's in the show notes per usual but give us a rating wherever you listen to your podcasts and we'll catch you next week with another episode all right. Stay frosty, everybody. Peace out. Stay frosty. It's a wrap.